Good morning, church. Uh, as you see, we are really excited as we enter into our new fall series, taking us uh, to the book of seventh, uh, Second Timothy, uh, which we have entitled Entrusted. And we're going to hear more about that today. So would you turn with me to the New Testament, to the book of Second Timothy. Go right to chapter 1. We're going to start this morning. I'm going to be in the CSB if you want to follow electronic device. Uh, and as I said, we really are excited as we go into this. We're going to spend probably the next nine weeks, maybe ten weeks, going through this incredible book. And we've been looking at it for a while. All the way back in March was when we had, uh, as our service development team, we're praying, we're seeking God, where do you want to go this fall? What we, what we often ask God is to show us, is Lord, not just show us uh, where you want to go in your word, but show us what you want us at Bethany to hear, what you know we need us, you need us to hear from your spirit as we just want to be a church that passionately follows you. And I'm really excited about this message this morning because we come to these verses, especially these first seven verses, they have been verses uh, that have had such an incredible impact on my life. Personally, how God has used them to speak to me and challenge me and define so much of my spiritual life. So I'm excited as we go through that this morning. So let's dive into that. We're going to read the first seven verses together just to set the tone this morning of where we're going. So follow along with me. Second Timothy chapter one starts out like this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I constantly remember you in prayers day and night. I remember your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that was first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm convinced is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying out of hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but one of power and love and sound judgment. So God, as we come to these words, I pray that you would just make them alive to us. God, let us come and hear you. As Shay said, we don't want to hear our own thoughts. We want to hear your thoughts and your spirit speak with power. Come alive that we would meet with you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we come to the beginning of, of this letter, we first kind of, anytime you come to a letter, you want to figure out who it's from, you want to figure out who it's to, right? And so Paul begins it and he says, hey, this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. And as he writes it, he does what he does with a lot of his letters. He establishes just who he is and his authority. He's like, God has placed me here. I'm an apostle. I'm a leader in the church. And I write this letter with that authority. I write this letter because of what God has done in my life, what he's called me to for the sake of the promise that is in Christ Jesus. And then he comes back and he answers the question, so who's it written to? It's written to Timothy. And I love how we begin to see this relationship unfold in this moment. He says, to my dearly loved son. See, what's really interesting about this, about this book, about this letter, it's different than most of Paul's letters. If you're familiar with most of Paul's letters, most of them are written to churches. And so he's writing to the masses, like he would write an entire letter to just Bethany Church. And you can imagine sometimes with that, there's, there's truth, but there's, there's a lot of gen, like generic things that kind of speak to all of us that God would want to say. And yet here, he's written a letter to one person. This is a private letter written specifically to his brother, one that he sees like a son, Timothy. And yet the context of when he wrote this letter is pretty significant. Paul's writing this letter from prison. And not only is he writing it from prison, we're going to see as we get through the book, we recognize that Paul's writing this, really believing this is probably his last letter to write. This is the last time that he'll be able to write this letter to Timothy. And so now we come and we kind of ask this question, so who's Timothy? 
And so as we look and see who Timothy is, we see Timothy is this guy that had been doing ministry side by side with Paul. They had this incredible relationship. They've gone through some pretty tough times together. They had a bond. They had a friendship that was unique and powerful. And so what we see as we look at the beginning of this letter, we, we see this picture of the relationship between Paul and Timothy when uh, Paul writes this in verse 3. He says, all right, all right, Timothy, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, just constantly crying out to God on your behalf and remembering your tears. I long to see you so that my joy may be filled. And we don't really know what those Nestle tears were for, but what we do understand is that this, you just see that greater picture of this relationship, this longing to be together. And, and see how Paul sees his prayer life. This is just this beautiful nugget just in these scriptures. Paul sees his prayer life as something that allows him to be with Timothy in a way that he can't be. Even though he is far away, he's in jail. As he remembers him in his prayers night and day, he gets to join with him and join with what God is doing. There's this beautiful unity that comes in the body of Christ. When we pray for each other, we cry out to God on behalf, and we get to build this, this connection with each other spiritually, even if we cannot be together physically. And although he longs to see him right now, he relies on prayer to see God do what only he can do. And yet we recognize as he's writing this letter, his deep friend, we also understand something. Again, we come back to recognizing Paul's realizing that his end is probably near. So if you were to write a letter to someone you saw like a son or daughter, to a close friend, and you knew, hey, this might be the very last time I, that I get to write to them, I get to call them, I get to talk to them, how thoughtful would you be about what you say? How significant would it be what you would want to share with them as you pour your heart out? But also on the other side of that, ask that question. If you are now hearing from someone that you know, this will be the last time, someone that's been like this person in your life, like a, like a father or, or a mother close, how seriously do you want to listen to what they're saying? How seriously do you want to take in every word that they say, knowing it has such significance that this is this last moment? And so as he's coming to this, Paul is writing and he's going to leave with Timothy. He's wanting to say, Timothy, I want you to see what God has done in my life. And as I give you these final words, I'm writing to entrust to you, Timothy, what God had given me. What I have been showing you, what we have done together now, Timothy, as God is about to take me, I'm now entrusting that to you, my son and my brother. And I think he's writing to say something like this. Timothy, my son, what I'm about to tell you and remind you of, I know you probably already know, but I'm writing this so you do not forget it. Hold on to this. Come back to it. Hold fast, my son. Hold fast to what I have entrusted you with. Do not compromise what I'm about to tell you. Do not compromise what you know. You have been entrusted to take the gospel. You have been entrusted with God's truth to lead God's church. And now see this, and I think this is really important. We're going to see this come through. What has been entrusted to you, Timothy, make sure that those in your church see it as something that has also been entrusted to them. See, as Paul wrote this letter to Timothy to share all what he's believing God is called to be entrusted to Timothy, church, we need to understand too, he is writing to us. God is writing to us to let us know what God has also entrusted to us. So as we go through this letter week by week, we want to ask this question. Ask the question, what was entrusted to Timothy? 
What do we see that was entrusted to Timothy that has also been entrusted to us, God's people, his church? And so now we get into the more depth and bulk of this letter as we come into verse 5. And we notice it's the very first thing that Paul speaks to Timothy about, his faith. Look what he says, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. I recall your sincere faith that first was lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm convinced is in you. And there's two really cool things about Timothy's faith here. I want us to see for a moment. One is that th- this word sincere, this is such a great word. And we're going to keep coming back to that today a little bit. It's a sincere faith. It's this faith that just is, as we've talked about this summer, we, we kind of maybe have a bigger and better picture of faith, bigger and better picture of sincere faith. It's not perfect faith, but it's faith that to which, as we see evidence in our life, people that watch us would say that life is defined by that faith. Faith is not a piece of that life. His faith is his life. It's sincere, it is real. When he speaks of it, there's not a question how much he believes in it and it impacts every area of his life. But next, we also come to the second really beautiful part as Paul talks about his faith. The second thing we notice about his faith is that this was a faith that was passed on. It's it's a legacy of faith, passed on from his mother and his grandmother onto him. He had his faith because of the sincere faith of his mother and grandmother. Because of the way they were willing to live out their faith with, with, with compassion toward the way they were willing to live out their faith in a way as people watch them, they would say, man, that defines their life. It's not a piece of their life. Their life is driven by these things. It's undeniable that that faith impacts and guides every aspect of their life, whether it's church world, whether it's, a, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, whether it's with their friends. It's all over the place. And parents and grandparents, it's just... For a moment, I want to speak specifically to you, to us, and to understand that we have such great power when it comes to passing our faith. Our faith is not just for us. We have such great power when it comes to the life of our kids when it comes to the life of our grandkids, to pass on that faith. And so I think as we come to a a, a reminder like this, an encouragement, we maybe also have to see a question or a warning and ask the question, what kind of faith would my kids and grandkids see in us? Like, don't ask the question, like, what prayers do they hear you pray at dinner table? Don't actually just ask the question, like, do they just see you, hey, go to church at least 50% of the time? Is it sincere faith? where they would look at your life and say, their life is defined. Every decision they make, I hear them going to God about it. Everything that they're considering doing, I see them saying, what would God have us do? Where it drives every aspect of the life. Because I think there's a a question we can ask. As we maybe look and see sometimes our kids struggling with their faith, we often want to look at them and say, well, it's because of the world and all these peer pressures and all the things coming at them with their faith. And that might be true. But what we stop to consider for a moment that maybe even as the world is contending for their faith, you do realize parents, grandparents, the world is contending for ours as well. See, the temptations may be different. The things that may be drawing them away may be different than what's drawing us away. And the thing is, we've actually kind of gotten used to the things that draw us away. We don't even see them that much anymore. And so for us to have sincere faith that we say we want our kids to have, we want it to impact the life of our kids and our grandkids and pass on this legacy, we got to ask ourselves, what's contending? What has our devotion? Is it sports? Have we, have we lifted our kids' sports activities above the faith? above their life, they're part of the church, how we lifted our jobs, 
our desire for promotion, our vacations, our cabins, where we, hey, hey, you know, we don't need a church all the time, right? We got other things we can do. The secular worldly values that just tend to flood us. At the end of the day, we got to ask that question, not out of guilt or condemnation. Guys, I'm asking myself that question too. God, show me the things that contend for my faith that I've accepted as okay so that I can live a sincere faith, so that I can go to my child and say, don't let those things contend for yours anymore. It's consistent with who I've been for them. So that I then can invite them to have faith, even if it costs them, because they have seen me live a faith that truly cost me. And so for Timothy, that was the legacy of faith that brought him to this moment. And let that be said of us, for our kids as well, people of sincere faith. And so now Paul, he's going to build from that idea. He's going to build from this, idol, this, this picture, idea of Timothy's sincere faith in verse 6. And he says this, therefore, so what's that therefore? Because of your sincere faith, because of this legacy of faith in your life, he then says this, I want to remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying out of my hands. I want to remind you to rekindle the gift of God this in you through laying on my hands. And, and this is Paul's first instructions to Timothy. Now we're getting to where he's, he's trying, finally starting to teach, construct, coach, whatever you want to say. And he begins with this phrase right here, rekindle the gift. If you're used to NIV or ESV, you may have the phrase fan into flame. Or if it's NASB, to kindle your faith. But what we see here is that God had given Timothy something. God had a calling on Timothy's life. And the reason I say for Timothy to remember your calling, because one thing we need to understand about the gifts that God has given us, the gifts that he has given us and the calling he has in our life, they go together. They come together. Because as God gifts us for his work and his kingdom, he's gifted us based off the calling that he has on his life for his work and his kingdom. And so as you recognize this, there's, this is a reminder of this work that God did in the life of Timothy. But it's also a reminder, and it can be, for us. I want you to think back to the moment. Have you had one of those moments in your life where you just knew God was, God was speaking to you, where God was calling you? Maybe it's that moment of salvation where you just heard God say, come and follow me. Come and live for me. But maybe there's some moments even past that where maybe it's been in a worship service like this, just you and God, and God began to speak and say, here's what I desire of you. Here's what I've gifted you to do. Now go do this for my kingdom. Maybe it's been your own time with God. Maybe it's been when you've been with your group of friends, your girl group, community, Bible study, whatever it might be. And there's this moment where God just seems to show up and he gets our attention. Have you had that moment? You've been there. God speaks to you. And then when he speaks to you, he like lights this fire in you. The spiritual fire, and you were like, all right, God, I'm ready to do this. I know this is what you're asking me to do. And God begins to say, all right, David, this is what I've entrusted with you. Here's what I've given you, and here's what I've entrusted with you. Now go do it. Go do what I've asked you to do at this moment. But at some point in our life, at some point, I bet you can relate to this too, something happens, and there's just this big bucket of water that just seems to pour itself all over that fire. And what was once there just seems to not be there anymore. Or maybe it wasn't just this one giant moment. Maybe you can look at your life, and if we're honest, we can look at all the little cups of water that we've kind of thrown on our spiritual fire. Maybe it's sin that we've chosen to be okay with. Things that we've accepted or compromised on just a little bit in our life for the things that we want over what God wants. 
Maybe it's even things that could be good, but we've made them objects of worship, a relationship that we've put above God. Maybe it's a job that we've wanted so much that we began to put above what God wants in our lives, above our family of who God's called us to be. It could even be our kids that we have elevated above God. And all of those little things that we begin to do and make those little compromises, they become either whether it's a big bucket or little cups that begin to pour out on the fire that God has given us. And so Paul is saying to his brother and his friend, do not let the fire go any longer. And here's the picture I think we would see. We'd probably see a fire like this at this point in Timothy's life. Like the embers are still there. You can feel the heat, but it's, it's not roaring. Something happened. Something was going on in the life of Timothy. He was discouraged, maybe. Maybe he was feeling beat down. Maybe there were areas of his life we had compromised. We don't know what led him to this point, but I actually feel some encouragement to this. If a guy like Timothy needs a guy like Paul, who sat under the apostle Paul, mentored by him, needs someone to come and say, hey, the fire seems to be dwindling. My brother, my sister, you need to do something about that. And so now we can come and we see, what would Paul be? What would Paul say to us? He's just going to say to us exactly what it says to Timothy. Okay, it is time to get that fire going. It is time to relight. It is time to get it. Fan the flame. Do whatever you need to do to get those embers going. Oftentimes when I have people, they'll they'll come chat with me. They'll come talk with me. And one of the things they'll wrestle with often is they begin to describe kind of a spiritual dullness, the embers. I don't seem to have that fire like I once did. And I'll admit, early on, I used to be like, all right, well, let's try and figure out, you know, like, what you need to do, what you need to do here, here, here. And, and then as I've grown in my own relationship with God, I'll just confess with you, I've realized, I was sharing this with our grow group leaders the other day, the, there's two things I know to do. And the first one is to say, you know what? Tell me about your prayer life and tell me about your time with God. And if you don't really have a prayer life and you really don't have consistent time with God, then there's nothing to stoke the flames with. Because if it was the Spirit of God that came in and lit those flames, it will only be the Spirit of God and His truth that brings them back alive. And so we got to start there. We got to start with our time with God. And, I, and this is our alone time with God. I'm not saying like necessarily your deep Bible study. I'm saying you just sitting with God and maybe you're going to the Psalms because you see many times in the Psalms, David's crying out, struggling with his spiritual fire a little bit. And you just cry out to God and get real and ask the spirit to speak to you, convict you, show you what is that thing that seems to be putting out that fire. But then very, very often, whether it's with that or if it's additionally to that, the other thing is often there's sin we just don't want to deal with. If that fire is dead, or the embers are just there and we're struggling with it roaring, very likely there's something in our lives that we have chosen to lift up and say, I'm okay with this sin. And just like any compromise in any relationship, and anything that comes in between me and my wife and I let stay there, it's going to start to de- degrade my relationship. The same thing happens between us and God, and the fire begins to go out just a little bit. And the thing is, even if you, you need God to, to, you're going to need God to show you what that sin is, you go to his word and prayer. You need God to help you fight, you go to his word and prayer. You need to know, you need the fire lit, you run to Jesus. Because there's a very important truth about the gift that Timothy has and you and I have that sometimes we forget. You know the gift is not primarily for you. It's not primarily for me. The gifts that God has given us, 
The reason he called us to his body is because there is a mission that he's on that collectively we need our gifts working and active together. And Paul, in one of his other letters uh, to a church, 1 Corinthians 14, he says this. He says, okay, since you're zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. At 1 Peter 4.10, just as one has received a gift, he says, well, use it. Use that gift. Why? How? To serve others. See, the spiritual gifts that God has given us, they exist in us. His power exists in us in order to join with the church what God has called us to do. And one of the things that can really just put out a fire of our gift, of what God has given us, is when we just don't use it. You're struggling. What? What of your life is being poured out for the kingdom versus yourself? How much of what you look at your time and your life is focused on what you want, your own personal desires, your own agenda, your own career, your own ambition, your own dreams, your own school expectations? Is it about you? Or how much does it come back to say, God, show me my part in the kingdom. Show me how to join with my church family. Show me how to join together and use what you have trusted me with, entrusted me with for your kingdom, for your glory, and to go out and use it. Because you know what happens? Anything we do not use, any muscle we do not use, what happens? It begins to die. If you just sit there and you don't stoke the fire and you don't pour more wood onto it, you don't even stir it up or fan it, what happens? It begins to die. There has to be an intentionality on our part to be active with what God has entrusted us to use it for the kingdom of God. And so I want to challenge you, and we're going to come back to this later, to begin to think about what is those things that truly is robbing that flame. Is there that sin that I'm just holding on to? Is there some anger and bitterness toward people in my own church, my family, my spouse, my kids? Are there things that I just don't want to let go of? Are, are there things that I've just put all my time and energy to for me that I've just put more into myself than I have been to what God has given me and it's just starting to feel dead? Am I not really even coming to God anymore because I'm struggling with that flame and if I don't feel that flame, I don't tend to go to God and the cycle just continues. Ask God to show you what that thing is because there's encouragement as much as there's a warning because the encouragement is and as we see this, we can come, as Paul said, and begin to rekindle that fire. We can begin to see what God did in us once come to life again. So don't neglect what God has given you and entrusted you with. And then in the next verse, he kind of gives this, maybe it's the why, or maybe the because, or maybe he's coming at this and he's saying, all right, Timothy, this is how you really begin to do this. You need to recognize these two things. In verse seven, he says this. First, he says, for God, remember this, Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. You start with that statement. God has not given us a spirit of fear because at some point within the life of Timothy, fear seemed to have a lot of power over him. We don't know what it was. We don't know whether that was something he always wrestled with or something he had kind of come to recently in the season of his life or what was going on. But it seems that in this moment, at least for Timothy, fear had enough power. It was holding him back. It was holding back his gift. Maybe him acting in the call God had on his life. Maybe he was, he was holding back in obedience, a full surrender. That sincere faith that he had maybe seemed to be lacking just a little bit as fear had the hold on him. Because fear does that. Fear holds us back. Fear keeps us from doing what we know God has called us to do. When you're in that moment and the Spirit's prompting you and, and the Spirit's like, go pray for that person. 
And we're like, no, they ain't a Christian. That's just weird, God. What do you mean go pray for that person? Go pray for them. Fear says, no, I don't know what they're going to say. When God says, hey, I want you to just go tell this person about the work that I've done in your life. Go share your faith. Go give them the hope that is in you, as First Peter would say. We're like, no, that's weird. God, I'm not sure what they're going to do or say. That's fear. When God's even pushing on you and he's beginning to say, here's that sin or here's that thing in your life that's, 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 that's pushing down, that's, that's water on those flames. And he says, I want you to go to your brother or sister and share that and ask them to help you walk that to begin to see that leave your life. And you're like, no, I can't do that, God. You know what? What will they think of me? I, I can't possibly do that. Fear. And, and if you're looking at that going, well, hey, I don't have that kind of fear. Man, I'm not one that really has fear. Let me just come back to you really quick and just say this. The truth is that every time we make a compromise in our life spiritually, every time we make a compromise on a thing that's a value that God calls us to have or something God calls us to do, fear is at the root of that. Because the reality is, when God's saying, go do this, and I know it's going to cost me, I'm afraid of that cost. I'm afraid of maybe not getting what I want fully out of it. I'm afraid of maybe not getting a need met that I want in my life. If I do that, then I can't do this. Don't you understand how much I need this? And we wrestle with the fear of what we want versus what God asks us to do. And very slowly, even if it's a slow fade, we compromise a little bit more and a little bit more. And we just pour those cups of water onto the fire. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, you need to see what you're doing. And you need to remember this as you're wrestling with what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to live and how to respond to these situations. You need to remember this, Timothy, that God never speaks through fear. Have you considered that before? God doesn't speak through fear. Because that's what he's saying. You do not have in you a spirit of fear that's from God. God does not give us a spirit of fear. Because if you notice what he did in his language there, in verse 6, he's talking to Timothy about the gift that he had. But in verse 7, he changes the language and he said, God has not given us. He changes it to the group. He includes himself in this dynamic. He brings all of us into this and says, guys, God does not speak to us through fear. God does not give us a spirit of fear. When fear is the motivator, just know it's not God. Just know it's not God. But I think sometimes we we cover up fear and we rebrand it with, oh, well, that just makes logical sense, doesn't it? Oh, that's just just natural wisdom. That's what everyone else would probably do and tell me to do. And what we do is we mask our fear and and secular ideas and, and, and things that aren't actually the spirit of God speaking and leading. And instead, he's coming back and he's going to challenge us in this moment. Because we're gonna see in Timothy's life, he was facing a lot of hard things, guys. Timothy was facing a lot of obstacles and a lot of battles. And I think that's why Paul's writing this right here, because fear probably was keeping him back from fighting the way he needed to. We're going to see Paul begin just the next section, begin to say, don't let shame have power over you. Don't be ashamed. He's battling with shame. Hey, hold fast to what I've taught you. Do not compromise, because people were trying to get him to compromise. People were trying to say, whoa, you're so uptight about that, Timothy. Just back down just a little bit. He probably had doubt in what what he knew to be true is now that was being challenged. And so now he's coming back and saying, remember, God's not going to speak through fear. That's not me. Instead, instead, God has given us this to fight that battle. He's given us this to fight that battle. Here's what he says God actually has given us. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but what he has given us, he says, is one of power and one of love and one of sound judgment. 
So as we come to these verses right here, I just want to spend just a few moments here before we close and look at power, love, and sound judgment. What is it that God has given us? And the first thing he says is power. This is significant on so many levels because you know what fear makes us do? It makes us fall back. It makes us pull away. Fear makes us slam on the brake. You know what power does? Power helps us move forward. Power is like pushing the gas pedal. Let's just put the pedal to the metal and let's go. See, the power from God allows us to do what fear would never allow us to do. It's the opposite of fear. It's working in the power of God in our lives to push that gas pedal down, to just fan that flame and light that up and see the power released. And this word power here is really significant. In Acts chapter 1, as Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit, he said, you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. And here we see the exact same word. He is saying, you have the power in you. If you have given your life to follow Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit in you, I don't give you fear, I give you power and you have it right now. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to treat it? Are you going to push it back and pour some more water on it? Or are you willing to put yourself in the hands of God? I think the way we experience God's power in our life is when we begin to realize that truly God's power is going to be something that happens outside of ourselves. I read this week, it was describing this power of God in us, and he said the reality is the more we can identify in ourselves why we succeeded, the less we understand that it was God's power. And yet the more we can begin to realize, I couldn't have made that happen. I couldn't have done that. I couldn't have had that conversation. I could never, no way. I didn't want to do that. I didn't desire to do that. Then what we begin to see is there's this force outside of ourselves and our natural that is the power of God in us that is giving us power, putting the pedal to the metal, pushing us forward to accomplish through the gifts that he's given us and the calling our lives to do things for his kingdom we could never do before. You have that power. But often we deny it. A.W. Tozer said, the only power God recognizes in his church is the power of the Spirit. Now stop there, don't keep reading. Stop for a moment. Just listen to that statement again. The only power God recognizes in his church, that's us, is the power of his Spirit. Whereas the only power actually recognized today by a majority of evangelicals, of Christians, is the power of man. Do you guys feel that tension? It's easy to rely on our own power because then I know what I can do and I can play it safe. And if I'm really good at what I do, I can get the things I want and I can go do the things I want to do, get the job I want, get the school I want, get the grades I want, get the money I want, get the raise I want, get the house I want. And I can rely on my own power. But see, the only power that God recognizes in his church and his people that he wants us moving in is his spirit. God does his work by the operation of his spirit. And so truly, if you're struggling with that flame, man, the, 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 it just seems to be embers. And nothing I do seems to change that. I think we got to ask ourselves the question, what power are we operating in right now in our lives? Am I reliant on myself, my abilities, Am I just going through the things that I know how to do and know how to do well? 
Or am I coming and running to God and tapping into him and surrendering enough to say, I know I can't, but God, I need you. God, I need you to fill me. I need you to accomplish this. This scary thing over here that I don't want to do and this thing over here that I feel like you're calling me to, I'm avoiding it. I admit it. But God, give me your power so that I can run into that and see the flame begin to burn again. Then he says we've been given love. And this is so simple, but it's really significant, church. We've been given God's unconditional love. And just like what often happens in our relationships on earth with our friends, our human friends, our spouses, those that are close to us, as we proceed in the relationship, we often neglect the love. We forget the love. Often as we continue in our Christian life, we forget how much God really loves us. And two things occur. We kind of just begin to forget his love, and it really just doesn't matter to us, and we just kind of begin to move on with our Christian life, and we neglect his love, the truth of his love. And the other thing that we also continue to do, we can become so overwhelmed with guilt and shame that we also then can just deny his love. We can believe that God can't possibly love me. Don't you know what I've done? Even after I became a Christian, don't you realize that I haven't really been sold out and I haven't had sincere faith? And when we deny God's love for us, either here where we just begin to not think about it, we have no motivation to love God because the Bible tells us that our entire motivation to love God comes from understanding his love for us. And so when we deny reflecting and meditating on how much God loves us and going to his word and letting him speak to us of his love for us, the flame dies. And when we deny also over here believing that God can't possibly love me, we deny the very gospel that brought God, that brought us to God, to which God sent his son for us to reconcile us because it was not about me, but about who he was. And when I'm able to confront both those lies and I come back and really see what God has given me in love, I receive the fire to fan that flame. And then last, we have sound judgment. What this, it's going to be translated a couple different ways. ESV says self-control. NLT says self-discipline. CSB says sound judgment. You know what? They're actually all absolutely correct. This is a pretty complicated word. And they're trying to help us understand something. Here's what they want us to understand. The what the Spirit gives us, what God gives us is by His power to have the ability, by His power in us, hear this, to see what we ought to do and by God's power submit and obey to do it to see what is right and what is wrong through the eyes of God and have the self-discipline that we need, the fruit of the Spirit. One of those fruits is discipline, self-control, the ability to say, no, I'm not going to just do what I want, but by God's Spirit in me, I can do what He's asking me to do. Sound judgment to make decisions led by His Spirit instead of secular ideologies and secular logic and secular wisdom. And that begins as I submit to that, the Spirit speaking to me about those things. As I see the calling in His Word to those things, it fans that flame. God's work begins to grow in us. So as we come to the closing this morning, church, As we said at the beginning, that Paul was writing to Timothy, he said, Timothy, remember your calling. Now I want us to bring it a little more personal. And if there's something we need to hear right now as church, remember what God has given you. By being his son and his daughter. See, when Paul wrote this letter, remember how he started? He said, Timothy, my son. And if I saw my son struggling, I saw my son kind of just struggling to have that fire and that power, I'd say, my son, please remember the gift, rekindle it. Remember, God's not speaking through fear, but instead through power. 
and his love and his spirit to guide you and lead you with, with his, his judgment and self-control. Guys, this is what God, in the same way, I think God would look at each of you and say, you are my daughter. You are my son. Remember what I've given you. Remember what I've entrusted to you. There are gifts in you. And there's a calling on your life. And maybe we just need to embrace how many things in our lives might be there keeping that flame from growing. How many things might be there robbing us of the life that we've called to live? Would you bow your heads with me in a moment? And I just want to let the Spirit just kind of do what only the Spirit can do. For Timothy was fear. Maybe for you, you realize it's something else. Maybe you realize it's a sin. Maybe you realize there's something that you're holding on to. But I want to encourage you now, go before God. God, show me what that is. And if he shows you in this moment, I encourage you to confess that right now. God, I see it. I've held on to this. I haven't forgiven. I've not been willing to love. I've believed these lies. I've been using my own power and not you. And as you confess that, now say, Lord, please come. And do what only you can do in me in this moment. Help me to surrender with sincere faith to live for you again. A.W. Tozer, he finished his quote by saying this. He said, church, we all have the blessed spirit present in us. But we are treating him as if he were not present at all. And we resist him and disobey him and quench him and compromise him in our hearts. But we might hear a sermon and we might say, ooh, I guess that's me. But our conviction wears off and we soon go back. Church, as we come to this moment, stay in this moment with you and God. As we come into communion in the moment, stay in this moment and let the Spirit of God continue to speak and let's say to him, Lord, whatever it is, don't let it be of me that I would just go out and continue, that today I might believe and tomorrow I might go back. But God, fan into flame, light a fire today, right now, fresh in each and every one of us in this room, watching online, in the mass venue, wherever you are. Lord, I pray that your spirit would pull out and light a fire that is undeniable, apart from you, so we cannot say what we have done, but can say, this is what God is doing in us. And then we would say yes to what God is asking of us. Let this be said of who we are as your people as your sons and your daughters for your kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' name.